I love Brother Bill and his comments. He said, that'll be fun when we're there. Amen. Right, church? It will be a wonderful day. Uh, so there's an old, old song. Now, when I was growing up, we used to sing in our church, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Whew, I'm about ready to get happy in church. Does that happen anymore? It's great to have you here today again, and thank you. And what a pleasure and privilege it is to have the East Lacks with us today. I explained to... Um, Pam in the office that we had just launched into a series and I asked permission to preach this morning and Dr. Carl was so gracious and he said go ahead so uh, I'm I'm in the in the second week of that series all right so I'm going to admit it that with ever increasing frequency I'm guilty of uh, of waxing nostalgia when I talk uh, and speak publicly. I, I, I'm guilty of doing that. You have patiently listened as I have relayed some of my early life experiences with you. I don't know what it is about people when they get past a certain age, but they start talking about the good old days, I guess. And I have talked to you about my life in the days when I was a child and a teen back in the 60s and 70s. And you have politely smiled and laughed when I described this style of the times when I was a teenager. In my case, think a skinny boy with a big old afro on his head and a huge flared out bell bottoms and platform shoes and a wide belt and a silk button up shirt on my skinny little body. It was gorgeous, I have to say. And (laughs) I have pictures. I'll try to get you some, but you will, you might kick me out of church if you see them. More than once, I've also contrasted my early experiences in church with you against today's styles and today's approaches, and and things have changed. Again, you have kindly let me prattle on to you how when I was in a little pilgrim holiness church, the part the church that I was part of, how when it was prayer time, we just came through prayer time. Well, they did it differently back then. If you've heard me talk to you about it, that if you were called upon to pray, and that's what would happen, the pastor would just pick some. They say, Brother Kip, lead us in prayer this morning. And the only two phrases you had to know was Heavenly Father and Amen. Because everybody knelt. And when when Brother Kip would say Heavenly Father, everybody started praying together. Out loud. Loudly. And they would pray until the noise would kind of go down. And then that was how prayer time was done. And then the person leading in prayer would know how to say amen. You've heard me talk about that. And you, you've heard from my stories at the churches of my childhood and teens. You've heard about the shouting and the jumping and the running and testimonies. They're not made up. That's the kind of church that I grew up in. And you've heard about a thing called altar calls. You know, back in the days when after every service, the pastor called them up front and we had what we're known as altar rails. We use these chairs here. But every time somebody would come up, it looked like a huddle. Uh, suddenly all the people would gather around them. And it was back in the days when they would shout instructions to you. Look up. Look down. You know, let go. Hold on. And, and all these instructions would come. And they would pound you into the kingdom of God. Man, they'd beat you on your back. And they would pray. I, I grew up in a church like that. And it's safe to say, it's from my four ways into the past. If you haven't experienced it yourself, you know that the holiness church in America has been quite dynamic in the past 50 years, meaning a lot has changed in our churches. 
It's a different church today. But brothers and sisters, it's a different world today that we live in. Dr. Carl was speaking very eloquently about it. Quite a different country, quite a different world. So it takes change. And today, the, the pace of change is breathtaking. It's too fast. It's too hard to keep up with. And so we can get caught up in that. But with all of that said, I'm about to wax nostalgic with you once more. <laughs> when I was in school, if a teacher were to ask me what my phone number was, I would have been able to rattle it off. But it wasn't my phone number. It was my family's phone number. Back then, you see, phones were attached to a wall or they sat on top of some kind of stand. And it was hardwired. I'm talking to some of you who are looking at me like, what? But yes, the phones back then were hardwired. You didn't carry them around. It did not take pictures. It did not take videos. It did not record any sounds. And our version of texting was put in an envelope and had a stamp on it. And it wasn't an instant that it happened. And in those days, I did not get very many phone calls coming to me. But I distinctly remember getting excited if anything in our mailbox was addressed to me. I loved that. I loved having something that was about me. I grew up in a large enough house that it was cool that somebody knew I was alive. And when I was a teenager, we would get telephone calls. And every once in a while, I would hear, hey, Ken, it's for you. And I loved hearing those words. I wanted it to be for me. I also loved as a teenager being able to torment and, and torture my brothers, my brother and my sisters because, uh, sometimes phone calls would come in for my sister and I would answer it and I would say, uh, I would, you know, greet and I would hear and I go, Joyce, it's for you. It's a boy. And Or my brother, he hated it when I would say, Alex, it's for you. It's a girl. And he would let, punch me on the way to the phone. Get away. And he couldn't get away because I could stand right there because he couldn't carry his phone away. It was so much fun. It was a better day, I'm just saying. But all sincerity, back for me, it was a big deal when I got to hear the words, it's for you. We're here in our second week now of a series that uh, we're calling The Last Age where we're working through the book of Revelation. And last week, we started where the book starts, with Jesus Christ. And you'll recall that I pointed out that the very first verse of this book plainly says it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, that Jesus. The Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. The Jesus who lived among us and ministered to us and loved on us who healed so many people, who showed the way to the Father, the Jesus who went to the cross and suffered and died, the Jesus who was killed, and the Jesus who rose again. It's that Jesus. It is his revelation. And that gives this book so much significance for me. That Jesus, it's his testimony, his message, and it's for you. This book of Revelation is for you, church. And in fact, the information that it contains is information that God wants us to have as we approach the last days, as we approach the last age. 
Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. Beautiful verse says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And take heart to what is written therein. Because the time is near. The Lord's stated purpose for this book. Is to show his servants. What must happen. What must take place soon. Chapter 1 verse 1. And this book is given to the believers to Christ's followers, to the church. It's for you. It stands to reason that Christ gave this revelation to assure that his church would not be taken by surprise by the drastic changes that are going to happen when the last age is ushered in, by the drastic uh, events that will take place on earth at that time. Chapters 2 and 3 of my Bible, and that's where we're focusing today. Revelations chapter 2 and 3. They're completely read in my Bible, and I have a Bible that puts direct quotes from Jesus and from the Lord in red. Red text. Church, these words that we are going to look at today are straight out of the mouth of none other than Jesus Christ, and it's for you. Before he revealed anything of the future... He had a message for his church, the Lord of the church, the one whose appearance so overwhelmed John that he fell and collapsed at his feet as if dead. The one whose appearance will one day cause every knee to bow and confess this Jesus is is, um, giving a message to his church to prepare us for what we have ahead through this message. We see the Lord's complete awareness of his concern for and his admonition to the church. So what do Revelation chapters 2 and 3 have to say to us today? What is Jesus' words or word to us today? Since I'm covering 51 verses of scripture in this sermon, I can't project it all for you today. And I want to encourage you throughout this series, if you can have a copy of the scriptures with you, either on a device or or a Bible with you, it's going to be helpful. There are times when we're covering enough enough of the verses where I can't project them all for you. But um, since we are covering so much of it, what we will do is look at what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus and focus on a pattern that is repeated in each of the other churches. This is a sample of the messages that he gave to seven churches, and they are for us. These messages apply to us today. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 say the following. The angel of the Lord in, to the angel of the Lord in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
There's a pattern that we're going to see as we look at the other churches along with this church of Ephesus. And the, and the, meth- the, the message has a theme and there's a pattern that seems to follow. And what I want to do is summarize part of that pattern with just a few two, three word phrases. To, and hopefully I'll be able to explain myself well enough for you. The first phrase I want to bring before you is this. And this is what Jesus said to every church. I am. I am. Exodus chapter 3 gives the account of what many of us know as Moses and the burning bush. And many of you will recall that God drew Moses into a conversation to call him to deliver his people out of slavery. And an overwhelmed Moses expresses concerns about such a daunting task. And I love the entire conversation. I love Exodus chapter 3. But that's a sermon for another day. So let me just show you Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14 today, this conversation that Moses is having with God. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. To each of these seven churches and to the church today, Jesus makes it clear who it is that is speaking to them. I am is speaking in these in these verses. I am is is speaking to the church and it's the same tone. Uh, it has the same tone to it as what I just showed you in Exodus. It has the same tone as when Jesus told some questioners uh, before Abraham was born. I am. Brothers and sisters, he is I am. He is the one and only. That's the same Jesus who died on the cross for you. And he is Christ the Lord. And it is he who is saying these things and giving this message. And he makes it clear before he gives anything else to the church. It's me. I am is speaking to you. And these words come from my mouth to you. And so it's an important thing for us to hear them as if they come from the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the conqueror of heaven and earth. He says, I am he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden lampstands. Chapter 2, verse 1. 2.10 says, I am the first and the last who died and came to life again. 2.12, I am he who has a sharp double-edged sword. 2.18, I am the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In 3.1, he says, I am he who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In 3.7, he says, I am he who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. And then in 3.14, he says, I am the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I have said all of this to you before. But, but because of who said these words, they should have weight to us. This message in Revelation should weigh, uh, have, have some real significance to us because they come from the I am. They come from our creator. Jesus left no doubt to his hearers who was behind this message. But he went on to remind them of that. He went on to say to them, it is me. I am. 
I have to say to you, and I'll be transparent to you, as I was getting ready for this week, and it's been a hectic couple of weeks. Uh, last weekend, I, I officiated the service for my sister, and, and my son helped me, and, and we got through that. And then I get this phone call this week that a family friend, a long-term family friend died. And so I was down in Oxford, PA yesterday, officiating another service. And, and it's just been a little hectic. And anyway, in my preparation for this week, um, someone said, said to me, Pastor Kenny, the, the district superintendent's coming Sunday. I said, thank you. Yes, yes. Yes, he's coming. Now, I know you've been at this for a long time, Pastor Ken, but is there any part of you who is nervous? Yes, I'm nervous. Of course I'm nervous. I have my DS here. He could do bad things to me if he wanted to. And and then I have a a, a, a representative and, and, a, and an officer in the Wesleyan Church. She's his boss. Yeah, I'm nervous about it. But, you know, brothers and sisters, all of that said, I was reminded by the Lord that um, he is present for every sermon I preach. And I love Dr. Carl, but he ain't Jesus. And and I respect him, but he ain't Jesus. And, and I've said that on purpose in that bad grammar. The I am is here. The I am is speaking to us today. The I am has a message, and it's for you. It's for you. He also, the, another phrase I want to share is I know, because he went on to remind his church after he identifies himself what he knows. And part of what Jesus wants his church to know is that nothing happens in the life of his church that he fails to see or discern. He understands his church perfectly. In fact, nothing happens in the heart or the mind of any believer or anybody that the Lord Jesus doesn't discern and understand fully. Nothing in your life happens that he does not know all about it. Brothers and sisters, please don't gloss over this. In these two chapters, he stresses repeatedly, he knows. Within these verses, the phrase, I know, occurs ten times, good and bad. He knows. He knows our deeds. So he knows what we have done. He knows why we have done it. He knows how we have done it and the motivations behind everything we have done. He knows where we are. Chapter 2, verse 13. He knows the difficulties we face, 2, 9 and 2, 13. He knows our futures, 2, 10. And our hearts, chapter 2, verse 4, 3, 8 and 3, 15 through 17. What I'm trying to remind you of, once again, I'm standing up here saying to you and telling you about the, the Lord God's perfect knowledge. He is Flawless in what he knows. He has perfect wisdom. He has complete awareness. It's why his judgment is right. It's because he doesn't make mistakes. He does not fail to see. He does not miss a single word the word of God tells us. Or even a single thought in a single human being. He perceives our thoughts from afar. I can't wrap my mind around a God that big. But I'm so glad he's there. And I believe every word of this. I believe that he knows today. The Lord of the church knows his church. And where others may misinterpret the vitality, commitment, and soundness of a church, Jesus does not. He sees and he knows. To Ephesus, he said to them, I, I know your hard work, your patient endurance. I know that you vet leadership and you, you root out false prophets. You suffered patiently for me, but he also said, I know that you have lost your first love. 
to Smyrna. He said believers had suffered significantly for the poverty of Christ. And he knew that. Jesus knew that they had gone through that. But he also knew that they were spiritually rich. Jesus knew about uh, up and coming trials. And he told them that some of them would be put in prison for 10 days. And some would face death in Pergamum. He knew that where this church was located, that they lived, and I'm using quotes here, where Satan has his throne. It's a symbolic thing of how evil that place was. But they remained faithful to his name. They did not renounce their faith in Jesus. But he also knew that they were allowing some unbiblical teaching from some of their leadership. And it was leading some of his people into sin. In Thyatira, he knew of their love their faith, their service and perseverance and that they were doing more presently than they were at the very beginning. But they too were guilty of enabling an evil woman, a self-proclaimed prophetess, to rise up in their ranks and to begin to teach unbiblical, immoral things, leading believers into sexual immorality and eating food sacrifice to idols. Jesus had seen it all and he knew. He told Sardis that he knew that they had a reputation for being a church that's alive. But in reality, he also saw that they were dead inside. Their deeds were incomplete. They were slipping away from their God. Philadelphia, the Lord God said, I, I, Jesus said, I, I know your deeds. And I know that you have little strength. But you have kept God's word without denying my name. And their future, he knew that he would one day cause the people who were persecuting this church to to fall at their feet and acknowledge that Jesus loved them. What a powerful, hopeful message for the church of Philadelphia. And he told them that they would be kept from an hour of, of definitely a, a difficult worldwide trial. And in Laodicea. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of the church looks on and he sees that the people were lukewarm and sickened him. And he was poised to spit them out of his mouth. He told them of their self-deception because they thought that they were rich and that they had need of nothing. But he also pointed out to them, actually, they were wretched, pitiful, blind, poor and naked. Church, I took time to go through this list. To drive home the crucial point that Jesus knows. The I am knows. It's intimidating maybe. But that's not why I'm doing this. I'm not trying to intimidate you. And I don't think Jesus said these things to the churches to intimidate them. He could, If he wanted to intimidate the world, he could do it in a different way. Honestly, I don't think he revealed it for that reason. The condition of the human heart. Is that we tend to drift away from God. We tend to deceive ourselves. And we tend to slip away from him. And he is appealing to people who are slipping away. He is appealing to people who are sinning against him. He is awakening his church to the truth. Because he loves us. Because he knows. And he can see where we're going. So he confronts us. So that we don't continue to slide away. I pray that we're applying this to the little bit today. He is awakening our church. He wants brothers and sisters for us to love him. 
And I, how many times have I said to you that more than he wants from, more than anything else that God wants from you, more than your abilities, more than your money, more than your time, more than anything, he wants you to love him back. That's why that word is on that wall. We hear say that that word represents this, to love God back. There's no question that God loves us. And what he wants more than anything out of this church is to love him back. And if we should be good at anything in this church, we should be good at loving God back. And that has a lot of ramifications, but it should start right there. It's why the words first. Because the Lord would have us to love him. And he would say to some people who were slipping away from me, you have left your first love for me. You have left your passion for me. You're abandoning it. And he would say to a people who whose hearts had grown coldly indifferent. And I just imagine what it is to be lukewarm. Spiritually speaking. And in my mind's eye, as I think about a lukewarm person, a person who is drifting away, it is a person whose heart has grown so cool that when the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way, they're not touched. They're just going through the motions. There's nothing that is going on and no spiritual vitality in them at all. And they, they're not even aware of the fact that they are cooling off and they are dying. And that the flames that once burned high were, have become a little smoking, smoldering ember. And the Lord God, because he loves us, Jesus, because he loves his church, stood in front of the church with this message. Don't let that happen. I'm about to spit you out. I'm about to remove you. But don't let that happen. And what a beautiful thing that the Lord would identify to us. I want you to know that I see it. I know it. I understand it. He knows our church, brothers and sisters. He knows the gospel chapel. And he knows who we are. And he understands our hearts today. I don't. I'm your pastor. I have a read on some things. But I don't have the the knowledge that Jesus Christ has on your life. But rest assured. And I don't say this to threaten you. Rest assured that the Lord of the church is fully aware of who you are. And where you are. And what you're going through. He sees it all. And he knows it. Finally, I want to use the phrase, I am here. Make no mistake about it to his, in his message to his church. Jesus did issue warnings. For example, in chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus said, If you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand is the church. And I will tell you that today, some of these churches that are mentioned are gone. They don't exist anymore. Because they were removed. And I will tell you, and I'm sure that one of the hardest things for Dr. Carl to deal with and for Do- and Pastor Anita to deal with are churches that die. They're removed. They're removed for various reasons because the Lord of the church removes them sometimes. And that's a painful thing to see. It's a painful thing to be part of. I've sat on a few boards and I had to help make decisions like that. And it was difficult. And I've, and, and this happens and it can happen to you. It can happen to us. In, in chapter three, verse three, Jesus warned, if you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief and you'll not know what time I'll come to you. No one wants the Lord of the church to come to them like that. He is a righteous, impartial judge. And that is a side of him we don't want to get on. And no one wants him to come that way. To every congregation, he repeats this warning. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the other side, though, of this 
little phrase, I am here, is a beautiful thing in my thinking. The other side of it is that he is present with us. He is the one who walks among the golden lampstands. Brothers and sisters, he's with us here today. He is present. The Lord, in all of his glory, in all of his power, he is right here. Included in his message to the church is the promise that he is right here with us. In our midst. With us. And what a beautiful thing. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. He is there when we go through trials and, and, and difficulties as a church. And we've been through a few. Amen. You're allowed to say that. We've lost people we love very much. We've seen some difficult times as a church. I want you to know that Jesus was always here and will always be here as long as we seek him and seek to honor him. He is with us in our trials. He is with us in our difficulties. He's present when his people are persecuted. He's right here with us and he has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. He doesn't forsake us. We forsake him. The all-powerful Lord of the church is right here with us today. And he urges the people of God who have sinned to come to him and approach him again. Listen to me. Jesus isn't here to bring punishment upon us at this point. He stands here with his arms wide open and saying, if you're drifting away, come back. Come back to me. Come back to a right relationship with me. Let's get this thing restored. Repent. That's what he says. It's the word. Turn around. Stop going in that direction. Come back to me. And be restored in your relationship with me. And oh, I wonder how it must break his heart that he can find people in churches who have a cold indifference. They go through the motions. They come to church. It doesn't mean anything for them because they're lukewarm. It must be so difficult. It is because the Lord says it makes him sick and it sickens him. Yet he stands in the midst of us. Those of us who are lukewarm and he opens his arms and he says, come, come to me. I want to restore it. I'm here now now come to me now and be restored to me and i praise the lord that that's what he wants he's not here to to damage us to harm us to bring harm to us he is present he's present with people who have lost their first love and gotten caught up in other things and their hearts have cooled and he is still here i think andrew you can come some of the most beautiful words in the bible at least to me, are found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I love this, this verse. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I don't know your lives like the Lord of the church knows your lives. And I don't need to know it. That's not my role. That's not my function. But I remind you again that he knows. But he is here present this very moment for you and let me tell you his heart is to love you in his heart is to welcome you back his heart is to say gospel chapel let me help you catch fire let me give you a passion let me rain my holy spirit down upon you let me do things in your heart that only I can do my prayers throughout this entire week for you as a congregation is this. I recognize that I'm a human being and I do not have the ability to, to move people's hearts. I can stir emotions, but it's different. What God can do is move your heart. 
Maybe as you look inside, you say, I don't know why I'm so cold. I don't know why I feel so indifferent. I don't even know what's wrong with me. You can begin by saying to the Lord, I acknowledge that. And I don't want to be drifting away from you. And what I want, oh God, is for you to move my heart. Move my heart, oh God. That's what I've been praying for today. Throughout this week, I've been asking God just to move us. Just to stir us. I said to the Lord many times this week, start with me, Lord. Please start with me. Please just move me. Just make my heart shift. Give me a soul shift. Make something happen in me that's not happening now. And let me return with a greater fervency than I ever have. I think maybe I do get nostalgic. And part of what happens with that nostalgia is you kind of take stock of yourself. And I recognize that I'm at an age bracket where I'm more than likely past halfway. 62. It's safe to say that I'm not going to make 124. God wants to do it, he can do it. But but I'm not thinking. So I'm thinking that I have less years left than I've already lived. I don't want to waste a moment. I don't want to waste a day. I want to bring glory to my king, my savior. Jesus came. He gave a message. It's for you. It's for me. So I'm going to... close this service in a little bit of an unusual way. I'm going to open what we're going to call these chairs, our altar rail. And I'm going to open an opportunity for you to come forward if you would like. And I would love to pray with you. I'm going to be here because I'm willing to say to the Lord, oh God, move my heart. Make me your child. Make me filled with passion and fill me with the Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I don't normally do this. A lot of times I have you raising your hands and whatnot. But today, I'm doing an altar call. This is what it looks like. Okay, this is what an altar call looks like. And I'm going to ask you, in all sincerity, search your heart for a few minutes. And if the Lord Jesus is speaking to you, has stirred you to pray, then come join me. Because I want to close our service today in prayer. Asking God together, light a fire. Light a fire, oh God, work in us. Lord of the church, you know. You know the reality of our hearts. Light a fire. So if you would like to join me, will you just quickly step out? Would you come forward now? Just step out, and we'll pray together. I appreciate those of you who are already responding. You can either kneel or sit. You can be in the front row if you need to. But I just want us to spend a little time in prayer together. I think what I, I didn't ask permission for this, so I hope I don't get in too much trouble. I wonder if, Dr. Carl, you would mind praying over us as a church. I'm going to give you a microphone here, number six, please, Betsy. And many of you, and this is appropriate, many of you didn't come forward, and, and that's, that's just fine. I understand, and not everybody feels led to come forward, but will you join sincerely? From your heart, will you pray with your pastor? Will you pray with those of us who are seeking the Lord for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit among us here in our church? Dr. Carl, please pray for us. So, Lord God, I thank you this morning that uh, you've brought us to this moment, both individually and corporately as a congregation. First, individually. Lord God, there are people that are up front right now that the message not from Pastor Ken, but the red letters 
the ones from Jesus got into their hearts today. And you stirred their hearts. You're moving the needle of the kingdom in their hearts today. Some have lost their first love for you. They remember what it was like, but there's a dryness, Lord, and and you have called them back to that first love, and they're telling you right now that that's what's happened, and by coming up front, they're asking you to restore that first love that they had for you. Or there are some that have found that in their lives that uh, they, they looked at things that made them want to compromise and choose things that are not of you, and they're trying to live both one foot here and one foot there, and Lord, I know your prayer earlier in the Bible when you said, when you prayed for us, you said, Lord, help them to be in the world, but not of it. But Lord, somehow they found themselves flirting too close to the things of this age and they find themselves compromised. And they're up front here today, just confessing that compromising place that they're living in. And they came up front because they want to come back home again. They want to come back to the fullness of a relationship with you and to reject the things that are, that are breathing death into them. Lord, there are some, they're just lukewarm. There's just no, there's no joy, there's no passion, there's no energy. They've lost not only their first love, but Lord, they've just, they've just lost themselves. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, today, that as they responded by coming up front, that they're confessing to you that that's their place. They can't get out of it, but they came to the one who can help them. And so, Lord, they've come and they confessed where they are. And now, Lord Jesus, you're the one that said that you will do something if we respond. So these people have responded. Now, great I am. Will you do what their heart's cry is? They're trusting you right now for what they need in their lives that they cannot do. So, Father, restore, renew, bring the passion back, Bring the joy of knowing and loving you and being loved by you. And Lord God, for those that are coming to confess their sinfulness, today might they not come to a punishing God, but to a God that says, welcome back home again. Welcome back. And you're holding them. And you are quickly, quickly forgiving them, Lord, for the disobedience. And they're back into the place they ought to be with you in that right relationship. But Lord Jesus, I'm also concerned because the message of chapters 2 and 3 were for your church. Seven representations of your church. And you're speaking it to us today, here in 2019, to the church of Jesus Christ. In all of the towns and villages around this world, you're speaking these words to us today in 2019. And Father, every church lives in danger of drifting so far that you remove the, the lampstand. That, that is the privilege that we have of being a light, a, a light in this community. And so I pray today for this church in Northampton. I pray for the gospel chapel, that they would hold tight to that lampstand. And Lord, whatever things that cause them to drift, might it break their hearts. What breaks your heart, might it break their hearts too. And that they would quickly come back and rally around the lampstand. The privilege that you and I have as a church to come and represent Jesus to Northampton and the larger community. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to be all that we're supposed to be in this very dangerous and scary age. Might we be proper and appropriate representatives of the King of Kings here to the community of Northampton 
and the surrounding area. Lord, we beg you to keep the lampstand burning here. Keep the light burning among us. And so we recommit not only these individuals, but Lord, I recommit this church at the beginning of this new year now. I recommit this church. This is your church. It's not Pastor Ken's. It's not a Wesleyan church. This is a church of Jesus. And so we recommit ourselves back to you to fulfill that which you have designed us and made us and asked us to be. Until you come, Lord, and heaven comes down and we're all there and we don't have to struggle and there's no fight, there's no weariness, there's no battles any longer. Until that day, Lord, help us to be the church that you intended us to be. And we recommit ourselves to that. And I pray this prayer of victory, of salvation, of restoration, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.